0: carry a credential with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada in Alberta and Northwest Territories and it's our role, a joyable role, to attempt to provide pastoral care to those who provide pastoral care to you and uh, that takes us on the road a lot and this is one big province and then you add the Northwest Territories to that, it is one huge area. So all the way from Coppermine or Tuck all the way to Lethbridge, Jasper to Lloydminster to Medicine Hat. That's our parish and that's our congregation. And uh, we enjoy what we do very, very much. By the way, while I'm at it, um, I want to give you a bit of a report. Uh, Talking to somebody today. First thing, they said, hello. Where are you from? I said, Sherwood Park. Oh, Joe. Joe. I want you to know that Joe and Danielle have fit in like a hand in a glove in, uh, in Sherwood Park. They are loved there. And uh, Joe is going to be able to reach his stride there, I know. And, and uh, I just, for those of you that know Joe and Danielle who are here ministering in this assembly for many years, uh, you will appreciate that report. It's a good it's a great joy to be here this morning. It really is. And we're excited about what God is doing here at Northwest Family Church. Uh, I believe and you believe, I'm sure that it's a defining moment in the life of the assembly. Uh, you can be assured of our prayerful support as as you navigate the next number of months. Your pastor Roy and his wife Marilyn are stellar people. Uh, we also know David and Jessica very well and they come to you with an impeccable a record in ministry. Change is, is absolutely inevitable, although we don't always understand it or we don't always appreciate it. The older we get, the harder it is. I, I was thinking this morning about change, and you have to give up something to gain something. You know that, eh? Like you have to give up your sin to gain eternal life. Um... Uh, you, you, ha, you have to give up. I had to give up uh, a certain genre of, of music that I grew up with and that I love. Uh, I had to give that up so that we could reach another generation of people with the gospel. I had to give something up to, to gain something, but, but the gain is, 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 is worth it. I was thinking this morning, and, and thank God for whoever puts your slides together because all the words were spelled right. I was thinking, I'm, I'm an English major uh, in university. I'm thinking uh, about the churches I go to where we don't have a hymn book anymore. When you had a hymn book, uh, hymn books never failed. You know that? Like uh, they, the bulb never went out in the hymn book. Uh, you know that, that, that kind of thing. It was just reliable. It was always there. But uh, I had to give that up for the handwriting on the wall. Uh, the, with, with half of the words spelled wrong in most of the churches I go to. That, that's, that grates on me, but I had to give that up because you've got to move along. Change is inevitable. And that's not what I'm here to talk about, but I'm here to prophetically declare that uh, don't look in the rearview mirror. What God has done, God has do, done. Give, give him praise and honor and glory for that. But the greatest days for you individually, as individuals, and the greatest days for you as a church are ahead of you. Well, we, you know, uh, somebody told me, I, I think it was Roy maybe told me this was a Pentecostal church. Is that true? How come you're so quiet? Are you awake out there? Uh, I will not be frightened by amen, I promise you. Or praise the Lord, that will not intimidate me at all. In fact, it would be kind of like sick him to a dog. So I encourage you to drive a stake in the ground, and like Samuel did, call it Ebenezer. Why would I call it a name like that? Because Ebenezer means, to this point, the Lord has helped us. And, and what Samuel was saying there was, was uh, the preferred future that God has for us is even greater than the past. I speak that prophetically over you this morning as a congregation. You'll give up some things to gain a lot more. And uh, I appreciate Pastor Roy and his team and the leadership here as you've navigated these waters and made this possible. Please pray with me. Father, we come to your word now. Your word is truth. And your Holy Spirit has has been given to us to guide us into all truth. The psalmist said that the entrance of your word gives light And, and that your word is a lamp onto our feet, a light onto our path. So, Lord, today let the meditation of my heart, words of my mouth, be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength. Would you etch your word indelibly on our heart? Help us to hide your word in our heart that we wouldn't sin against you. In the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Let's see if we can get this thing operating. I think I might need a new battery, but I have one in my case. So why don't you just talk among yourselves for a moment or two, and I'll be back. As soon as I, see, I told you about electronics, didn't I? I had to give something up in order to use one of these things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The key to this, always carry extra batteries. There we go. There we go. Now, EV man, I've done my part. Can we get that presentation up? Well, oh, there's nobody up there. Oh, oh there it is. Oh, okay, there we go. I'm going to move over to the side a little bit so I can actually monitor that as I go. I don't have an operator's license in one of these things, so I need all the help I can get. Uh, How do I know God's will for my life? If there's one question that I have been asked uh, more than any others in the four decades that I've been in pastoral ministry, this is the one. How do I know God's will for my life? I want to tackle that this morning and talk about it for a little while. First of all, you need to know that there we go. A little slow, but it's there. That there's a general will of God for all of us. And the general will of God is the same for all of us. For each and every one of us. And then, secondly, there's A specific will of God. That is the nitty gritty details that play out in each one of our individual lives. And uh, He's mapped out a path for each of us individually. And you won't walk my journey, and I won't walk your journey. We each have a journey. And when I'm asked that question by people, what they're expecting me to answer it concerns the specific will of God for their life. How can I discover God's unique, specific, and individual plan for me? And the first thing that I have to ask in return is this. Are you following the general will of God for your life? Because, listen, you will not be shown the unknown Until you are obedient to the known. That's just the way God's will works. So what I feel led to talk about this morning is the general will of God. The general will of God. The will of God that includes each and every one of us. No one who follows Jesus is missed out. No one who says that Jesus is Lord can wiggle out. This is God's fundamental expectation for each of us. However, you need to know this. God doesn't impose or enforce his will upon us. We practice his will by choice. In fact, there's nothing in the Christian walk that is forced upon us. We have been called to liberty. We've been set free. The gospel of of, of Christ is a gospel of freedom and liberty, freedom from slavery. But you say to me, Pastor, didn't the Apostle Paul call himself a slave for Christ? Well, when the Apostle Paul talked about being a bondservant of Jesus, this is the picture that he had in mind. In the Jewish world of Paul's time, slavery was practiced. And when the Israeli army would subdue a nation, they would enslave the people. And these people became, actually became slaves in the households and the businesses of Jewish citizens. However, there would come a point when the masters were obligated to let the slaves go free. That was Jewish law. Now, just as in any nation that ever practiced slavery, there were good masters and there were not so good masters. And slaves were in a bit of a predicament when uh, they were set free. Where would they go? What would they do? And those slaves, if they had served a good master, would often willingly indenture themselves back to the master as slaves for life or bond servants. They were totally free to choose. But by their own choice, because they were loved and cared for by their master, they would become his bondservants. I tell you this, that to tell you this, the gospel has set us free and God himself will not force us to follow his will. It's entirely a love response on our part. He's a good, good father. He's a wonderful master and we choose. The slave in Israel would put his earlobe against the doorpost of the master's house. And the master would take an awl and he would hammer a little hole in the earlobe of the slave and he would put a ring through that earlobe and that ring would be a declaration. The slave would be declaring, I want to be your doulos, I want to be your love slave forever. My freedom is found in my service to you. My security is found in living under the protection of your name. So I'm not coming here today, as, I, as the message goes on, with a list of, of some sort of do's and don'ts. But I'm telling you that obedience, or that following God's will for your life in obedience is an act of choice on your part. It's made from a love response to a wonderful father. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I had one under the chair, but I forgot to bring it up. At senior camp this year, I sang too much, completely lost my voice, and I was directing the camp. So uh, you know how rowdy seniors get when they're not directed properly. But uh, I've had a little problems with my voice ever since. I want to anchor in the following scripture this morning. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and it says this, for we are God's handiwork, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God has prepared in advance for us. Now, we all start out like an artist paints on a palette. A bit of a mess. If I were to tell you the mess that I was in when God found me, you may find it hard to believe. But my story is not completely unique. In fact, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners by birth, sinners by choice, same lost condition, same need of a Savior. But the fact of the matter is that God is actually creating a handiwork. Now, handiwork in this verse is a bit of a weak translation. The Greek word is poema. And it literally means the excellence that goes into a masterpiece, the excellence that goes into a perfect work of art. That, by the way, is a Rembrandt. It's a prodigal coming home. It's an amazing, amazing uh, painting that hangs in the Louvre in, in, uh, in France. And uh, you can sit there and look, look at it for hours. It's, it's absolutely amazing. But before you are too hard on yourself, remember that, uh, that all of God's creative resources are employed in turning you from a mess into a masterpiece. Wow. He's speaking, secondly, to believers here. He says, in Christ Jesus, if any person is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, it takes a little while for the evidence of those new things to to be exposed in our life. Thirdly, God had these plans made before you were ever thought of. There is divine destiny and purpose built into the DNA of your life before the foundations of the earth were laid. That's how much God is invested in. You're no accident. No matter what the devil tells you, no matter what people have told you, no matter what you might tell yourself when you look in the mirror and you disappoint yourself, God didn't make a mistake when he created you. He made a potential masterpiece. Hallelujah. All right. There was a famous sculptor, and he was working on a large piece of rock, and he was chipping away day after day and didn't seem to have any apparent purpose. And there was a little boy who was really fascinated with this. And he sat and he watched this this artist work. And and, uh, finally, after many days, the shape of a lion began to appear in this rock. And the little boy was absolutely amazed, and he asked the sculptor, How did you know that there was a lion in that rock? Let me assure you today that God already sees the lion in you. He's busy chipping away bit by bit everything in your life that is not lion. Hallelujah, are you there? Wow, you're a quiet bunch. I was in a church last week and I preached and I had to preach loud because they out preached me. Hallelujah. There is, let me assure you that God is chipping away at your life. And and there's not a person here in this room today, uh, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your background, no matter how you've been labeled, no matter what parents or teachers or spouses have said to you, not even how the church may have judged you at some point, there's no one here that knows Jesus that is not a lion in the making. Hallelujah. Well, masterpieces uh, are not made in a microwave, If you desire to walk in the will and purpose and plan of God, you need to cut yourself some slack. Very close to the end of his life, the Apostle Paul said, not that I'd already attained, but I pressed towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul recognized that he wasn't completed, but he said he's going to bring to completion that which he started. The, the, The important thing in your life is not how far you've come the important thing is that you're moving in the right direction that you're allowing God to release the lion in the rock now the chipping process can hurt it can but God's in charge of that process I walked numbers of years ago 20 25 years ago I walked through a very 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 deep dark valley of depression boy that was hard the year 2012, my, my wife walked through the cancer journey. It was there for a little while. But I want, you to t- I want to tell you something, that both of us are stronger today than we were before we had those experiences. And we realize how awful can become awesome in circumstances where God is at work, where he's orchestrating the, the process, where, where he's chipping at the rock. And God will not allow anything in our lives that is not allowed in the context of his love and the context of his purpose for us. And if we trust in him and we don't abandon the process, every experience we have will help fulfill our purpose. If God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. The prophet guy in the Bible named Jeremiah, he lived about 3,000 years ago, and uh, He had a real hard life. He was obedient to the call of God, but things didn't go well. For 40 years, he prophesied, he warned Israel about what was coming down, and nobody listened, not one person listened. In fact, for his efforts, they threw him in a cistern and left him there. And now, Jeremiah was very, very human, and uh, Jeremiah came to the point in his life where he said, I guess I must have been a mistake. I I I I wish I'd never been born. But God spoke to him. This is what he said to him. He said, before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. Think about that. Put yourself in that verse. Before you were formed in the womb, God knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I, I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. Now, God, uh, God is uh, basically... Uh, speaking to jeremiah and and jeremiah comes out of this experience and uh, the fact of the matter is that understanding this truth it allows jeremiah to write this in in chapter 29 verse 11 uh for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope that's god's prophetic word over you today folks individually Now, pastor, what on earth does that have to do with the general will of God for my life? I'm glad you asked that. A work of art always portrays the spirit and the dream of the artist. In fact, a work of art is the extension of the heart of the artist. God's plan as he works on us with our permission, by our choice, is to expose as much of his heart in us as we allow him to. In other words, he's working on your nature to reveal his nature. So before you ever start asking God about specific direction for your life, you need to know his general will. And you need to believe that God is more committed to your purpose and destiny than even you could be. I don't know if you saw this movie. It was a bit of a crazy movie, but it's called Bruce Almighty. And uh, Bruce Almighty... Jim Carrey, uh, wanted to be God. So God said, okay, I'll let you. You can be God. So within a short time, Jim Carrey has messed up royally. And he's begging God to be freed from this experience. Now, if I were El Almighty, I probably wouldn't do salvation the same way God did yeah, the cross and stuff. That's fine. But what would happen is I get people saved. And then I drown them in the baptismal tank. Well, think about it. Like, God wants us to be with him, hopefully. And, and we want to be with him, I'm sure. So gets saved, a few bubbles in the tank, and home to glory. Like, doesn't that make sense? It makes sense to me. But you see, God has chosen to leave us here and and there must be a reason that God has chosen to leave us here. And, and and there is a reason. And and everyone is searching for that reason, but so many people get distracted and and few find it. Years ago, when I attended university, in the summers I worked for Saskatoon Parks and Recreation. And I worked in a very huge graveyard. I had About 32,000 people under me, and not one complaint all summer. It was wonderful. Uh, When funerals were coming, we would prepare in advance. And one day, we prepared these two graves side by side. The next morning, first thing in the morning, a piper entered the gates of the cemetery and behind him was a funeral coach, and behind the funeral coach, several limos, and, and then several hundred mourners, and they kind of slowly made their way, wended their way through the grave uh, uh, yard up until, up until he came to one of these graves that we'd prepared. And with great pomp and circumstance, they laid this person to rest in one of these graves. This person had been a prominent lawyer or a politician or something like that in Saskatoon, and so he got the royal treatment. After that ceremony was over, about 30 minutes, we'd filled in that grave. And uh, another funeral arrived. It was a single, undecorated hearse. It drove directly to the second grave. Two funeral attendants jumped out, removed a gray cardboard casket from, from the back, set her on the grave, bowed slightly, jumped in the car, and left. She was a lady from the west end of Saskatoon, without family, without friends, without fame, without fortune. We filled in that grave too. And I sat for a long time that day on a tombstone thinking about what I'd just seen. A rich, prominent man with everything the world could offer, a poor old lady with nothing in the world. They likely would have, uh, have avoided each other when, had they met on the street. But that was all over now. In death, they were lying about four feet away from one another. And nothing but the state and condition of their respective soul mattered at all. Nothing. Our purpose, God's plan, God's general will for our life bypasses all the stuff of the world. Like John tells us, if you love the world, things that are in the world, love of the Father is not in you. Moth and rust corrupt stuff. Thieves break through and steal, Jesus said. You place your loyalty in that, you already have your reward. That's it. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus said, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Why does God leave us here? What is his will for us while we're here in this sin-darkened, sin-infested world? Remember I said a little earlier that an artist's masterpiece is an extension of the artist's own heart. Where's masterpiece? What do we know about the heart of God? What do we know about the ultimate expression of God's will? God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance he's so invested in that purpose that Jesus came with that one purpose to seek and to save that which is lost and to shed his blood to make that possible So before we spend a whole lot of time and energy on trying to figure out the nitty-gritty details of God's plan for our life, we have to submit to the one big plan, the major plan. Our purpose reflects His purpose. And He calls every one of us to join Him in that divine mission. To actively and consistently share His love with the lost. That is God's general will for each of us. How many of you understand that the words of a dying man are words that are worth listening to? In John chapter 17, on the eve of his death, Jesus prayed a prayer. And in that prayer, in verse 18 of John 17, Jesus said this, uh, uh, the first verse up there, Father, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. Think about that. Father, the same way as you gave me a mission in the world, to seek and to save the lost, because you're not willing that any should perish, Father, the same mission, the same mission mission that you gave me, I give them. That's it. That's it. No more complicated than that. A mission in the world. A mission in the world. A mission in the world. And fulfilling the know and will of God means that we're engaged in the same mission that Jesus was engaged in. Living out the heart of the Father for the lost. Reaching the lost at any cost. That's it. When Jesus was here on earth, he said, I'm the light of the world. As long as I'm here, the light of the world is here. But I'm going away to the Father. So here's the deal. I will send the Holy Spirit. And he'll be with you. But, 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 but even better than that, he'll be in you. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 14, to every one of us is sitting here, not to the pastor, not to the evangelist, every one of us sitting here, you're the light of the world. 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 In other words, God says through Jesus, do exactly as my son did when he was here on earth. That's the reason we don't drown you at baptism. And because you can have the power of God's Holy Spirit living inside of you, you can do what Jesus did. And you can do it with the same results. And because there's so many of us, we can be do it in an even greater way than Jesus did. Because when Jesus was here, he was limited to one place and one time. But there are millions of us all over the world. Little little Christ, Christians. That's what Christian means. Little Christ all over the world. That's somebody else's job. No, 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 no. Some, some God's will for somebody. No, no, no. No, it's the evangelist. No, no, no. You! You! In your sphere of influence, whether it's your family, whether it's your neighborhood, whether it's your place of employment, whether it's your school, wherever God has placed you, your mission is the same mission as Jesus had. Absolutely. Absolutely. God says, this is my known general will for you. And don't expect to know the intricacies of my specific will for you and for your life. I will not reveal them until you be resolved to follow my general will. And as you follow my general will step by step, I will reveal my specific will to you. I'm not here to do anything today but to encourage you. God has already begun to do something in this church, and he wishes to magnify and increase that in the chapter ahead as you step into new waters and new territory. I'm absolutely certain of that. But I, I know this. There, there is no leadership, whether it's past leadership or future leadership. There's not one pastor that is going to stand up in front of this congregation and say, whoa, hold on. We're leading way too many people to Jesus. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Jesus said, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the world. You're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Jesus' appraisal of the church will not include what kind of music we play and whether Pastor L. Downey liked it or not. Or whether all the people in the church were happy and contented all the time, munching and crunching on their Sunday meal. Jesus' appraisal of the church, and as that is expanded outward to each one of us individually, will be this one question Were you light? Were you light? Did you spend your time, your energy, your money in the places where I would have been when I was on earth? I don't know what that specifically looks like for you. We all have a different story. But I know that there's not one of us here today that's excluded from the general will of God and purpose for our life. God will not force you, but he will invite you. And if you respond, he will provide the opportunities for you. And he'll give you the strength through his Holy Spirit and the wisdom through his Holy Spirit to do it. Okay, I'm going to land this plane really, really soon. But I want to share with you a little bit about what this looks like in a practical way. After we left the uh, pastorate and in Sherwood Park in August of 2004 a friend of mine and his wife had had been leading quite a number of people to Jesus at his place of employment and about uh, 15 to 20 Catholic people had uh, come to faith in Christ and uh, Quentin my friend asked me if I'd be willing to help him disciple them and I thought what a great opportunity And uh, so I just began to teach them, and I began to teach them the very simple principles of living in God's kingdom on earth, under God's lordship, while we still are here breathing the air of this planet. And uh, one of the main emphasis was was teaching them simply to do what, what Jesus asked them to do. Linda was the very first one of that group to come to Jesus. She was so eager to learn, knew so little. It was about my fourth year with them. They still didn't know what a Pentecostal was. Sorry. Never told them. Let them find it out for themselves. I was teaching about being the light of the world. A couple of weeks after I I, I taught that lesson, Linda came to me and she said, Pastor Al, I quit my job. Now, I knew that Linda had a fantastic job. She worked for one of the refineries in Sherwood Park. And I knew that her role was to write up these million, multi-million dollar contracts for the product that they were making at that particular refinery. So I knew she was pulling down uh, six figures. And I sort of puzzled over her quitting her job. And I said, why? She said, "I I think the Lord spoke to me. I said, Linda, in a decision like that, you better know the Lord spoke to you she laughed she said yeah i know he spoke to me so i was intrigued i said well tell me about it she said well i got a call a week ago from shell scotford which is another big plant in fort saskatchewan just down the road and they asked me to come and work for them and i said to them no thanks i love my present work i got really good salary I've got great benefits, I've got seniority, I'm paid well, I like my boss, he likes me, everything is cool, I'm part of a little Bible study group, I appreciate your offer. No thanks. She said, I hung up and that's when the Lord spoke to me. So what did he say? She said, he said, Linda, if you don't take that job, who will be my light over there? And on the basis of that, she called them back. She said, I've reconsidered. I'll take the job. Her boss warned her that she was going to lose everything. She'd lose her six figures. She'd lose her perks. She'd lose her seniority. She said, I have to go. I have to be obedient. So she went. And for several weeks after that, she came to a Bible study on Monday nights, looking pretty sad and pretty discouraged. She said, Pastor, it's so dark over there no one wants to hear my testimony no one wants to hear my story no one wants to hear about jesus and i've tried a few times and they ridicule me i don't know what to do so about six weeks later on a monday night linda came to the study and she had a smile on her face i said you look different linda like what's up she said pastor al i was sitting in my office after hours I was feeling very alone and very discouraged. And I said, why, Lord, why did you have me leave all of that and come over here? She said, the lady who is a custodian, she came into my office to empty my garbage can. And I said to her, would you like to hear my story? She said, I'd love to hear your story. I told her my story and, pastor, I led her to Jesus. About several months, maybe four months later, that woman was diagnosed with cancer, and she died within a few weeks of being diagnosed. She died saved. A couple of weeks after the funeral, Linda approached me and said, Pastor Al, the Lord spoke to me again and, and told me that my job was done at Shell that I was supposed to return to Driver Fuels and I was supposed to ask if I could have my old job back. And I went back and my boss said, now remember we told you that if you came back, you'd have to start at the bottom rung of the ladder and your, your salary would be at the starting salary wage and, and, but we'd love to have you back. You just need to understand all of that. She said, I just need to be obedient. So she went back. So a few months after she went back, the supervisor called her in and, and said, Linda, we've talked at upper management and, and we've unanimously decided that we're going to reinstate your salary and your seniority and your perks and, and everything else that you had the day you left to work at Shell. That's what uh, obedience to the general will of God looks like. Hearing God and doing what he says. I've missed the boat lots of times. I have to admit that. When the prompting of the Holy Spirit said, do this or do that. And I don't want to look silly. I don't want to look foolish. I'm, I'm a coward inside and I haven't depended on the Holy Spirit. And I've missed opportunities. But I don't want to miss any more. Let me, let me set your mind at ease here. God's plan for our life is big and grand when it's seen in its totality. But we, don't, we never see it in its totality. Thank God for that. What we see is enough light for the next step. And we don't see the light for step two until we've taken step one. Remember, remember the children in, in, uh, in the, uh, of Israel in the wilderness they, they came to a place called Kadesh Bardea and, and the spies went in and ten came back with a bad report two came back with a good report and the ten said it's a, ter- it's a great land but there's giants there we can't do it it's too big obstacles do great Joshua and Caleb said no problem God's with us we can do it the people decided to listen to the ones that uh, gave the bad report and they ended wandering in the wilderness for 40 years interesting
1: 40 years later
0: After everybody over 17 years of age had died, except Joshua and Caleb, guess where they were? They were at Kadesh Barnea, looking over into the promised land. Nothing had changed. God hadn't changed his His plan. God hadn't changed his formula for them, just because of the 40 years. I want to tell you, no matter how long it takes for God to get you to obey in step one, he'll wait until you do. And then you'll have the life for step two. So, our prayer is not, Lord, do great things through me. It's the prayer that we need to have in our life is, Lord, give me the strength and courage to walk in obedience to the step that you're showing me right now, today. It's not one giant leap into the enormity of God's will. It's small steps of obedience one after another as we seek him and sense the prompting of his Holy Spirit and just simply obey. The will of God is a successful businesswoman called Linda, preempting all her plans, preempting all of her, all of her seniority and leaving all of that behind, quitting a job and taking another job with no idea why, just knowing it was God speaking had no idea that she was going for one person a little custodian probably a nobody around that particular plant a lot of people probably didn't even know her name but God did and God saw her heart and knew she was searching and so he took Linda and he moved her over there for such a time as this hallelujah and this lady came to Jesus God loves one little custodian lady enough to do that I'm not sure why God has committed the sharing of the gospel to imperfect in process people like us but he did so if you come to me and ask me God's specific will for your life I can't tell you the specifics I'm sorry I don't know what school you should go to I don't know who you should marry I don't know where you should work I don't know if you should move from Calgary. I don't know. I I might be able to give you some fatherly advice because I've been around a while. But but unless the spirit of prophecy comes on me, I, I would only be speculating on God's a specific plan for your life. But what I can tell you with, absolutely cer- with absolute certainty today is this. The will of God for your life and for my life and for everyone who follows Jesus, wherever we are, at any time, any place, season or age in life, day or night, home or abroad, is this. We are to be the light of Christ we are to shine the light so that lost and broken people can find their way to a God who wants to rescue them and lavish his love upon them well pastor what if the Lord doesn't show me what to do he will he'll show you the next step the Lord will be so delighted to have you on board his mission he will direct your path he will he's just waiting for you to say I'm in I'm in. We sang it in a chorus. Choruses are cheap unless we put them into practice. I'm in. I surrender it all. During, uh, I'm just about done, folks. I thought I was just about done about 20 minutes ago. That was just my first just about done. During the last war, a church in Strasbourg, France, was destroyed by bombs, and nothing remained except a heap of rubble and broken glass. But when the people began clearing away the debris, they they found the statue of Jesus, and it was still standing erect. And despite the bombing, it was unharmed except the hands that were missing. They're broken off. Eventually, they were rebuilding the church, and and a sculptor happened to see this figure of Christ, and, and he offered to make new hands for it. The church officials met to discuss the offer. Of course, you can't put new hands on Christ unless you have a board meeting. And they decided not to accept it. And this was a reason. Our broken statue touches the spirits of men and reminds us that Christ has no hands to minister to the needy or feed the hungry or enrich the poor except our hands. We don't often see Jesus in the temple. Once or twice we see him in the synagogue. Where we see Jesus is where the lost people are. We see Jesus... With the unclean leper, who's alone in his suffering. We see Jesus with the broken and battered prostitute uh, at Jacob's well in Samaria, where Jesus had no right being. We see Jesus in the in the graveyard and the Gadarenes with Legion, the demon possessed man. We we see Jesus at the table of Zacchaeus and his and or Levi and, and, their, and their buddies, their drinking buddies. We see Jesus in the parlor of a man whose daughter had just died. We see Jesus on a cross. We see Jesus on a street corner under the cover of darkness having a a discussion about the new birth with a a Pharisee called Nicodemus. Jesus was where brokenness was. Jesus was where death staked a claim. Jesus was where sin had marred and twisted lives. And in the middle of that maelstrom of chaos, the light of Jesus shone. It was a beacon of hope, a beacon of rescue. If Jesus came to northwest Calgary today, where would you find Jesus? Name your nastiest place. Name your most desperate place. Name your most hopeless place. Name your place where, where people young and old, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, are in darkness and in hopelessness that's where Jesus would be. And for those who truly want to know and do the general will of God for their lives, that's where they'll be as well. That's where they'll be. Jesus has come to Calgary. Jesus has come to Calgary. He's come to Calgary in you, in you, every one of you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Teresa of Avila, none in the the 14th century, wrote these words Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands but yours. No feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which looks out Christ's compassion to the world. Yours are the feet with which he goes about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he can bless men now. Folks, little custodian lady doesn't come to jesus and find faith and have her eternal soul secure in glory unless a very prominent successful businesswoman hearing the voice of god says i'll give all of that stuff up and i'll do what you ask me to do you're a priceless masterpiece there's only one you You are loved so completely by God who created you. God is at work in you. He's shaping the lion. But he's doing it with a purpose in mind. Not just to get you safely to heaven. But to make you his ambassador. His representative. His light. To to give you all the resources you need through the Holy Spirit. To be a minister of the gospel that reconciles broken people back to a relationship with God so they can be saved and healed and delivered people think about this people who will not meet Jesus unless you're obedient unless you're obedient you're entering into a new season as a church I like new seasons especially like spring I'm not a big on winter kind of guy but in the, in the Bible, the uh, new seasons were, were always preceded by altars where, where men and women pledged new allegiances to God. So today, we're just going to take a couple of moments of reflection personal reflection, and corporate reflection, reflection for yourself as an individual, reflection for yourself as a congregation, soon to be amalgamated. You can build an altar today, and, and and I'd love the those people that were leading in worship. Wes, if you'd come back, please. And I'd like to go back to that. I think it's maybe the last chorus we sang about my will, just giving you everything. You, I think you know which one I know. I mean, and and as we do that, I'm going to ask you to build an individual altar. And and as you build your, you see, all, an altar is made out of stones, and Peter. Uh, says we're the living stones we're the lively stones in in the altar of sacrifice that we're offering to god and so you come and you offer your stone to the altar and then then the altar is built and and it becomes a corporate altar where in unity and harmony you you can together do away more than you could do individually you remember, remember the psalmist said how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity it's, it's like the, the oil that runs down off, to, off the beard of Aaron and drenches his clothes it's like the, it's like the dew off of Mount, that descends off of Mount Hermon it, it, that's what unity is like because, because of this last verse in that psalm for there For there, the Lord commands his blessing. As you, in one heart and one mind, bring your individual stone to the altar, God builds a corporate altar, an altar of unity, an altar of we're going ahead in the same direction. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Here's my stone. I'm in. And in that place of unity, God commands his blessing. How many of you know when God commands something, it happens? into the darkness and chaos and emptiness of the pre-creation earth. God spoke and he said, let there be light. And there was light. Same God speaking to you this morning in the same way. I'm going to ask you to stand. You're not coming because some loudmouth pastor from Sherwood Park came down to preach to you. That's not what you're doing. You're not responding to me at all. You're responding to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Say, we're going to do a new season uh, in the ministry of this church. We want to be outbound. We want to be outbound. We want to see this place filled up to capacity and beyond. We want to have two, three, four services. But we don't just want church people moving from one church to another. We want to see the lost. And, and every one of us is a vital key part of that. And today, we're not just singing this chorus. We're declaring it in our own lives. And together we're going to come and we're going to make this altar. You don't have to stay here long. You're just coming to make this declaration. Say, why do you come forward? Because there's something about stepping out in faith and moving forward in front of all your brothers and sisters that confirms something in the heavenlies. I'm asking you to come not for me, but for God. what God wants to do in the future of your life and in the future of Northwest Family Church. Would you come? We're going to sing. Now pray. And then we'll be free to go and have our meal at Swiss Chalet. Hallelujah. He took my sin and my sorrow, he made them very young. Hallelujah. I'm in, I'm in. Pastor Al, I'm in.